welcome to This is Growth, the podcast where we help you build and scale modern customer success organizations. This month's episode is here and you will love this episode. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me to ask about how we automate our enterprise business reviews at HubSpot. Literally, every single time I share on this topic, I get an influx of people asking me, how do we do it? And I'm not surprised because creating presentations is time consuming. Some EBRs might take hours for reps to put together. So for this episode, I wanted to bring you not only one, but two people who I have worked closely with over the last two years to automate presentations. One is Nick, he is the founder of Magic, the platform that allows you to plug all your data into any template to automate the creation of documents and presentations. And the other is my dear colleague, Brian Savage, who has built the automation of presentations that we use at HubSpot. I wanted to bring these two people here to give you a good insight into what are the possibilities? Should you build this from the ground up or should you buy? So this episode is gonna have two parts. Part one will be an interview with Nick and part two, an interview with Brian. So if you're ready, go grab your headphones, put on your running shoes and let's dive in. Hey, Nick, it's so good to have you here. How are you? I'm doing well, Daphne. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really well. Tell us, where are you dialing from today? I am in the Bay Area. So I'm in the East Bay in a city called Concord, California. Oh, so we are in opposite ends of the world, basically. I am. It's the end of my day on Friday, and it's only starting for you. Oh. Uh, I am jealous. I am jealous. You're much closer to happy hour than I am. <laughs> Nick, I I have an entire audience uh, of people that are so curious about how to automate resources like presentations or documentation that they send on to customers. And I wanted to have this conversation and I couldn't think about anyone better than you. But before we dive two feet deep into this conversation. I would love for you to share your story with the audience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell us, how how did you start your business and what is your business? Totally, totally. Um, so at a high level, what Matic uh, does is we help uh, teams automate the generation uh, and sending of data-driven content within PowerPoint or Google Slides. Uh, and as a result, we work with a lot of customer success and sales teams to automate things like a business review, um, a renewal deck, an ROI deck, value assessments. Think of your entire customer life cycle, right? Whether onboarding, adopting, renewal, advocacy, you're probably sharing data-driven assets along each of those touch points. We wanna help you automate those things. So my background prior to starting the company is I was at LinkedIn and then prior to LinkedIn, I was at a few startups. I've always been in product and analytics. Uh, I'm a data nerd at heart. And actually prior to joining LinkedIn, I was at a customer success software startup uh, back in the day. And that was really where the idea initially started was we had a lot of our customers were coming to us saying, hey, and this was 10 years ago, right? Like we do these things called business reviews and renewal decks and we have a template and we have placeholders and we have to go to all these different places and we have to go to your platform, we take screenshots. It'd be awesome if there was like a one-click button to go and pull everything together. And so when I joined LinkedIn, I joined a internal uh, uh, product team called Insights. And we had built internal tools and narratives for our sales and customer success teams. And you know, LinkedIn had a very similar pain point where we put together these templates uh, across all these different touch points, pitch decks, uh, ROI calculators, all these things. And you know, there'd be placeholders that said, hey, Daphne, go to this person, go you know, to get this information, go to Tableau, go to Salesforce, whatever it may be. And it was really time intensive. And we also had analysts whose jobs were literally just to support our largest accounts uh, where they would go and pull custom data uh, for the reps. And they would then go and present for a renewal or an EBR 
And usually what we found is what they would do, it's like, well, if it worked really well for, you know, this particular customer, why can't it work for everybody else? And so there was a tool that existed at the company that uh, automated this entire process. I had the chance to rebuild that tool and really kind of got me thinking, hey, I think this problem exists uh, and for other companies. I've always wanted to start a company. It is a scary to leave the comforts of a company like LinkedIn. Uh, I'm a refugee and I'm, a, I'm an immigrant. And I think when you, when you have immigrant parents, they want you to be one of three things. They want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, or work for a big company like Google or Microsoft, or they could brag to their friends back home. Uh, but I thought, hey, you know what? I really want to give this a go. And I didn't want to have that regret later on in life. So I met my co-founder, who was an early engineer at Box. And I said, hey, let's do this. Like, I think this is a great opportunity. And and we, you know, we have a really similar passion for data. Let's let's give this a go. Wow. I mean, I definitely want to double click on what you said about being the son of immigrants, refugees, <laughs> um, because I think there is plenty of people that are going to listen to this podcast that feel the same way, uh, that come from from a background that's somewhat similar to yours. And that pressure, the family pressure yep. is definitely real. So I don't want to derail us too much, but I have a question. How does your okay. mom feel about you being a, a, an entrepreneur now? Uh, you know, I will say, I'll give you a little bit of a story. LinkedIn has this wonderful uh, day. It's called Bring Your Parents to, to Work Day. And I got to do that. I had the opportunity to bring my mom and dad to San Francisco. And, you know, they're from a village and in Bosnia and, um, you know, for them, you know, see the cafeteria, they had like champagne for everybody on our 17th floor. It was amazing. And literally the next month I, I, I wanted to tell my mom and dad that I'm going to leave all of this behind to go and start something. I was really, I'll be honest, I was very nervous. I ended up flying to Utah, which is where they are at. And I wanted to tell them in person. Um, and all that fear that I had, right. Uh, actually was met with a lot of support. Uh, which surprised me, right? My mom and dad were like, hey, look, we came to the US, but you do, you can take these risks. And so like, if we need to sell our house, if we need to do whatever it need be, go do it. And I think that gave me the the courage and the, you know, the support to be able to say, you know, whatever the outcome is, I just go and pursue it. And it's hard, right? And that's the one thing that uh, I get a lot of people who ask me, hey, how did you, like, how did you, like, how did you get the courage to go and take that plunge? And I think you have to have a why and the why can be anything. I can't tell you what the why is, right? So I have my own personal why that I just described, but uh, you, if you don't, if you can't articulate uh, within a few sentences, what your why is, then you probably shouldn't be doing a startup, right? Uh, I talk to a lot of people, especially here in the Bay area who went to Stanford or went to Harvard and because they're Stanford, uh, you know, classmates are all doing a startup. They feel like they need to do a startup. But I don't know if that's the best answer. You know, like you need to have a why on why you're doing this. Oh, I love that. That is so true. Um, your mission comes first 100% because the days can be so hard when you're starting a oh. business. And if you don't have a why, then you can't get through. It would be so difficult. Nope. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, um, I am imagining both your parents cheering on with champagne <laughs> in the 17th floor. And then the next month, it's like, goodbye. That's not happening anymore. Uh, that's so funny. Uh, okay, Nick, I'm going to pivot us um, into into the conversation about the automation of, of resources. So you obviously saw that need on LinkedIn where uh, people were actually like generating this documentation time and time yeah. again. And, um, you know, you build a custom solution internally to do this. And I'm sure that, that was like people like you maintaining that solution. And it wasn't uh, an easy thing to, to accomplish. Yeah. So you go and you build this platform. Tell me a little bit more about like, what are some of the use cases that you see customer success teams adopting when it comes to automating presentations or resources? Yeah. So again, going back to what I said earlier, look at the entire all the touch points in your customer lifecycle, right? From, you know, contract gets signed, you have onboarding, you have monthly check-ins, you have business reviews, EBRs, renewal conversations, adoption reviews. We think any of those touch points, you should have some sort of data-driven asset that you can go and bring to the table. So some common ones that we see outside of just like business reviews, renewal decks are really, really popular, which is just a, another flavor of a business review, right? 
one pagers are, I would say, one of the biggest use cases that we have seen across our customer base, uh, especially for the end of the year. Uh, you probably use Spotify. You know, Spotify is a year in review wrap up. Uh, we had a customer really early on that did something very similar. Uh, and it was a great way to uh, get the attention of a decision maker, right? Like getting time in front of your stakeholders is extremely difficult. They're busy, they have their own objectives, especially a leader or somebody who's actually signing your contract, a CRO, a chief customer officer, a CEO, uh, so that they use the one pager as a carrot to be able to say, hey, Daphne, it's been a while since we ha had a chance to check in. Here is how your team has been adopting our product or service. Here's the ROI. By the way, here's three recommendations that we recommend to improve these numbers. It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. Daphne, you put this together for me. I would love to spend 15 minutes to chat about how we can improve this, right? So the one pages are big. We're also seeing a lot around benchmarking. So uh, a lot of benchmarking reports where, you know, I think one thing that I've seen done poorly is people want to put in data for the sake of putting in data. But if you can't correlate that data back to why they purchased your product, like the objective, like why did you purchase my product, then it doesn't really matter, right? And so people will use benchmarking as a way to be able to showcase how uh, they're achieving their goals and their objectives with your product or service. So that's another, another thing that we've seen quite a bit of recently. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, Everybody listening, I'm sure if you're in customer success, you spend a lot of time creating content, whether that is emails, presentations, um, to actually convey a message to your customer. So hopefully you can imagine what it looks like if you have this all automated. But to get to get more specific, tell me, Nick, okay, I am buying Matic today. What happens? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I make this a part of my of my processes? Totally. So it first starts with the templates that you want to onboard, right? So you're in two camps. You either have pre-existing templates that are that you are using that you want to automate. Great, you already checked off step one. Or B, you're maybe a little bit newer and you're still trying to figure out what your story or narrative is for an EBR or a renewal deck, whatever it may be. We have out-of-the-box templates that we have codified as best practices that we can share with you. Uh, but you start there, right? Uh, and then from there, we do have two sides of our product. We have an admin side, which is really the nuts and bolts, uh, how you connect to the data sources that you need in order to populate the data in those templates. So an example of this could be you may have usage data in Snowflake, right? You may have uh, account level information in a CRM like HubSpot or a Salesforce, right? Um, you may have data, uh, pricing data in a Google Sheet uh, or an Excel doc. And so we've built connectors to all these different data sources that then allow you to create what we call dynamic content, which are things that are on the, on the templates themselves. So text, populating charts, images, uh, tables, uh, and you'll go and, and set those things up. And then you'll give that, you, once you've onboarded the template, you'll then uh, give access to your end users. And we have a whole end user side where as a rep, it's really, really straightforward. You come in, you select a template, you provide some inputs, and we spit out a totally native presentation within PowerPoint or Google Slide on your behalf that you can still edit if you, if you want to make any changes afterwards. It sounds like magic. It sounds like as a CSM, I'm going to come in, I'm going to give my customer information just for you to identify that customer select that template and then suddenly I have that resource that used to take me hours to put together. But I am sure that you come across this objection all the time, which is like, Nick, my data is a mess. Like even for me to find this manually, it's hard. So how, totally. how, are, how is your system going to, to help me go through this process if my data is a mess? Like what's your advice? Totally. Yeah, so I think on that front, you're right. I don't think anyone has perfect data. I think that is a unachievable state, uh, to be totally honest. I've worked at some very large companies. I've worked at small companies, and no no one's data is perfect. Um, I always say the rule of like 80-20. I think when people look to automate, not just, not just data-driven content, I think when people look to automate anything, they always want to think of the end state, like 100% automation. And I think that is that is good to strive for, but take a step back. And I always think like 80-20 is the target. Like 80-20 is always the target. And that's what we 
talk about with our customers is, hey, this is awesome, but you don't need to automate every little piece of thing that's that, that's in the template. Start with the things that you know are vetted and, and work from there, right? Just like you build software, when you launch a, a piece of software, when HubSpot goes and launches something, it's not like the product team is like, okay, great guys, we just built the MVP, we're done. There's constant iteration that happens. Same thing with content. You launch a piece of content, uh, you're gonna get feedback. You're gonna, you're gonna go into the field and you're gonna be like, Nick, I love this new uh, uh, one pager that we have for monthly check-ins. One thing I don't like is people are not really resonating with this chart here. I'd love to maybe like tweak it a little bit. You take that feedback, you make some changes and you continuously get feedback. So with the data side, um, part of it is also you, you got to make sure that you are getting buy-in from the stakeholders that are supporting customer success, right? So whether it's CS ops, whether it's data analytics, you have to be able to illustrate to them why this data is so important to be able to showcase to your customers and how it's going to help you achieve the company objectives. So, you know, right now I think NRR and GRR is like really top of mind for all organizations, not just customer success, but the entire org, right? And so if you feel like, hey, this renewal conversation or this value assessment template that we have, it's talking about ROI and usage, it's gonna have a huge impact on renewal rates and upsells. Well, then that is something that the data team can get behind because their work is gonna directly impact what the company's trying to do as a whole. So I think that's something that we, sometimes in customer success tend to forget. We have our hand in a lot of cookie jars, right? Like we work with sales, we work with products, we work with uh, ops and we have to use, we have to, just as much as we talk with our customers and sell externally, we've got to sell internally as well, right? Hmm. I think it's a great point. Um, and I think tying back to something that you said earlier, it's like knowing, knowing what your customers care about and what their goals are, because the I think the if you if you look at the quality of the output, the quality of the presentation yep. or the 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 one pager, um, the ROI document, it's how relevant it is to your customer when totally. it comes to, um, the, yeah, just how the information is going to impact their business. So I think one thing that people get very wrong with resources like this quarterly business reviews, enterprise business reviews, usage summaries, is that they are fully focused on usage metrics without the translation into how it adds value Correct. to the customer. Is there is there any best practices or anything that you've seen companies do to get away from that like data dump of here's how you're using the product totally. into here's the value you're getting? Totally. So I think um, I think one, it really starts with process up front where you do need to be able to log what those objectives are, right? And you're probably gonna do that in maybe a CS platform or your CRM, right? And hopefully you can codify it, right? Like if someone's buying your product, hopefully there is a, a library of 15 to 20 objectives that are most common. That, again, going back to 80-20, 80-20 rule, meet 80% of the, the use cases. And then, you know, doing a mapping exercise of, okay, hey, they bought for objective A. Well, what are the things, what are the metrics, usage metrics that we can tie to that? And then from usage, you wanna go up to, okay, how can we then translate that to ROI and value? So I always talk about like, you know, you've, you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I've kind of got like a similar pyramid, for, but for data at the bottom, you have just a basic account level information, right? Like contract, what they purchased, blah, blah. Up one step above, you have usage data, which is I think what a lot of people just want to just throw out there. But then the top of the pyramid is that ROI and value. How are you able to tie that usage data back to you know the objectives that they that they purchased uh, purchased your product for? So if you have that stored, great. Um, we also have rule based logic within our product that you can kind of set these if then statements, like if they. If you know they're using a certain product, then maybe add in this slide that talks about these particular use cases that gives a little bit more content. And I think this is the where AI can come in, right? Where, again, you don't want to just show data. You want to be able to show insights. And uh, I think being able to have the AI sit on top of the data to say, hey, here's this chart that shows time series of, of a particular uh, uh, metric, have the AI kind of analyze that and give the key takeaways that hopefully then tie back to those objectives that you have somewhere right 
Wow, we went 17 minutes uh, of this podcast without talking about AI. <laughs> I think that's totally. uh, the, the word in everyone's mouth. And it was definitely one of the things I wanted to yep. ask you is obviously there is like one level of this, which is, you know, if this, then that. Yeah, you plug the data Correct. based on what you have in your database. Yep. Tell me how, how you're thinking about AI in your product and yeah. how do you think is going to change automated presentations? Totally. Yeah. So we, we've always had this concept of conditional logic at the dynamic content level or at the slide level. Again, it's kind of like that if then logic that you just described, which is really, really powerful and can hopefully go from like 80 to 90, 95% fully automation. Um, but what I really like about the AI, and I know it's a huge buzzword. I really, I, I, I can attest to that. My LinkedIn feed is just constantly, uh, Hey, we just launched this AI feature. But I think what makes us a little bit unique is, we have all of this dynamic content that you've created within our product. Us being able to send that dynamic content to uh, AIs, the LLM, and say, hey, I want you, here's a piece of dynamic content that powers this chart. I want you to scan the data that we're sending to the chart within the Google Slide Deck. And I want you to write three bullet points that summarize that. And now you're going from just, not just pulling the data, not just having that if-then logic, but now you're getting to insights and you're able to turn the CSM into a data analyst, so to speak, right? Uh, we're, and it's not going to be perfect all the time, again, 80-20, but I've been, I've, been, I've been surprised at how good the output is with some of our customers where it talks about seasonality, it picks up the percent changes. I mean, literally the, the language that is being used in the bullet points is really, really spot on. And I think a lot of that is because we're sending you know, to the prompt, we're sending that very personalized data to the prompt, and it's just doing the calculations on your behalf and then writing those key takeaways. So I'm very, very bullish on that. I think that's going to have a huge, huge impact. It's already had a huge impact on uh, the folks that have tested this out within our customer base uh, to really up-level the CSM and help them, um, you know, have a better starting place to have those conversations with their customers. Mm. I love that because... I do think that there is a place in the future where you don't only use those resources when they're attached to a CSM, having a conversation sure. with a customer, but actually you use that throughout the customer journey at different points that that gets totally. triggered. And again, like you said, 80-20, I think confidence with this type of resource is really important. Probably the first time that you roll it out, you're not going to fully automate the process. You're going to want to see like what's, totally. the, what's the output, how it performs, does it resonate with customers. But once it does, then can we integrate into the customer experience in such a way that it's seamless? It's just going out into yep. uh, the right stakeholder at the right time. Um, I think... One of the things that you didn't mention, but I'm going to say because it's, it's really a, a use case that has um, resonated a lot with with our customers, is a changing POC. So a POC changes. You have uh, a new a okay. new executive that comes into the organization, and it continues to be your let's say your one pager or your. Um, sure business review uh, summary uh, that you might have. But actually, it's like, okay, hello, new executive. Here is the value that this product is bringing. Yep. Don't go off erasing and changing everything because this is adding value. <laughs> Here is what it is. You know, oh, it's goodness. actually helping you engage with that new stakeholder. So I saw a lot of success, a lot of people saying to me that this is a really great tool of engagement with a new POC. Yeah, that's actually, that's a great, because it, it is true. You're starting to see a lot of turnover at the leadership level. And we've all been there on the front lines where, you know, somebody that your initial champion, your initial uh, decision, you know, decision maker was there, has now left. Now somebody else comes in who, you know, maybe you use other technologies in the past or other services in the past. And so you kind of have to resell to a certain extent. Mm. And what better way to do that? I think the one pager is the perfect use case for that, where, you know, they probably have limited time. You want to give them a synopsis of what you what the product does, what the service does, and then how it, how it's translated to value. And hopefully, then does give you the ability to get time on their calendar to go a little bit deeper and to learn. Hey, this is what we uh, this is what we wrote down initially, right? That the old uh, champion, in terms of objectives, has this changed? Like in your mind, do you feel like 
there's anything net new that you want to tackle that you think is top of mind. So I love that. I think that's a really, really great uh, use case there as well. Yeah. Um, Nick, a question that pops to my mind when we talk about any, any resources that we add to the customer journey is that in CS, for a long time, we've been applying playbooks without knowing how it impacts the customer and is it working, is it not working? Tell me, how do we know that those uh, automated presentations are resonating and then they are uh, generating value? So I think there's two buckets that I always encourage people, not not just with this, but I think in anything, um, is one, you need to get quantitative data and you need to get qualitative data. So the qualitative data is like have a conversation with the CSMs who are presenting these assets to be like, hey, what do you think? Like, what is working? What's not? So I think that's the first bucket. The second is pretty easy to be able to identify. It's like, hey, look, here, here is all the opportunities where we've engaged and we've done a renewal conversation or we did a value assessment or we did a business review, right, compared to the ones that we didn't and look at the differences between the two. Right. So being able to showcase, you know, the, the revenue impact or the um, how the renewal rates or the lower in turn, I think that is the way that we can get more resources. Um, and it usually starts with one. Right. Like typically what we see in our Slack channels is uh, a rep will be like, hey, uh, and this is, you know, we, we're on a lot of Slack channels, a lot of our customers and they'll be like, Hey, I just presented, I just used the, the new value assessment template, or I used the business review, had a great deck. We just closed this renewal and there was a, you know, 30% uplift on the renewal. And that gets people really, really excited. And those are really great uh, anecdotes to be able to showcase and be like, hey, let's now start codifying or creating more assets across, across that customer journey, right? Because uh, we want to replicate that, that impact that we saw at the top of funnel. Okay, I understand. So qualitative, uh, is it resonating with the CSMs and with the customers? And then quantitative, mm-hmm. is it having a positive impact positive in, impact. In, in the business? And, okay. and the quantitative side, I think some tangible metrics, obviously, like looking at how it impacts renewals, upsells and cross-sells, if that's what the team is in, in charge of. I think the other is just, honestly, just productivity as well. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, you know, how much time are, are folks getting back to do more strategic things, right, uh, with their customers rather than just, you know, plugging and pulling data. So I think there's there's that aspect of it as well. Yeah, I think that that is a huge win for CSRs. Like some of those quarterly business reviews, I've seen people spending days putting that stuff together. Yeah. I mean, not, not literally every hour of the day, but, you know, it takes a lot of effort for people to go through totally. all of the reporting. Like you said, print screen things and... So it's definitely a big time save. Um, Nick, the last question before we part that I wanted to ask you, and I know you're biased on this, but I wanted to hear, you've worked in an organization that built this internally from the ground, and you've Mm -hmm. now built a business that offers this off the shelf. What do you think is the the best path for an organization to to go through and or maybe at least like, what are some of the arguments to go with the off the shelf solution? Yeah. I think a big part is like, you know, when you're building anything internally, uh, I think people, there's two buckets of cost that you need to think of. You need to think of the initial build, how long is it gonna take to build? And that involves engineering, right? So if your team doesn't have engineering resources or analytical resources, that's one thing. And then there's the maintenance piece. And I think the maintenance piece is a piece that people always forget about. Cause it's fun to build. It's fun to put something on your OKR. It's like, hey, we did this, but then Okay, what happens when it breaks? What happens about new features? What happens when the data sources change, right? And so that's where I think buying something off the shelf where a company specifically focusing on this, they have an entire engineering team, they're codifying best practices, I think makes more sense. Um, and so uh, the maintenance piece is really where it goes. And I think the other is, you know, we've built this entire admin experience that you can go ahead and not just onboard a net new template, but I think there's a lot of value in the admin experience because now I have the ability to, to make changes more easily without having it be hard coded or, you know, having to go and get an engineer to be like, hey, you know, can we go and onboard a new template? And now they have to write brand new code to go in and onboard that new template. So 
our hope is that we're not just finding value for the end users, the CSMs, the AEs, the RMs, who are you know, easily going and generating a presentation, but we're also providing a lot of value for folks like me who've always supported customer success who are adminning these tools. I now have the ability to make sure that I have a source of truth for all my templates, my dynamic content. Hey, this piece of dynamic content lives in six different templates. If I make a change, it's gonna impact all six of those, right? I see the data. So we've built an experience that hopefully caters and provides value to the admin to better support these customer success managers and the stakeholders that they manage. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, like when we think about the overall arguments for building or buying, they are generally exactly what you said. So I'm, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, Nick, I I have to say it's been fantastic to work with your team and, and get to understand and see how this works um, live in practice and see those documents come into life. And for many people, this sounds like magic, right? It sounds yeah. like, you know, best case scenario, but it, it comes to life and it's pretty seamless. So congratulations to you and the team for having built a incredible product. Hey, Brian, it's so good to have you here in the podcast. How are you? Hey, Daphne, doing doing great. Always a pleasure to be speaking with you. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to be joining uh, your listeners here today and uh, talk a little bit about automation and, and everything that I'm doing at HubSpot. Yeah, I mean, everybody's dying to know what we're doing to automate our resources. So we will get there. But Brian, before we go too deep, Tell us, what is your role at HubSpot? What do you do? Yes, my role at HubSpot is a senior automation analyst, which I've been in for a little bit more than two years now. Uh, prior to being an automation analyst, I was a renewal manager at HubSpot for about three years. And I think that was really valuable because it gave me exposure to customer success and all the different roles involved with servicing customers. Um, my team here at HubSpot is the business acceleration team, and that lattices up to our customer success strategy and operations department. Um, and really what my team is focused on doing is building and maintaining innovative systems automation that supports the customer success organization, it really helps our, our reps and our managers do their jobs more efficiently, more accurately, better, um, really just trying to support those folks as best we can. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about myself. Yeah, I have to say we are one of the lucky ones uh, when it comes to having CS operations, strategy, planning, like we have a really big structure to help deliver our customer experience. So we are very thankful for your work. And Brian, I know a lot of people listening to this podcast, they are in the front lines. They are delivering customer success. They are renewal managers, contract managers, and they are interested in moving towards a more operational role. So I am sure that after this conversation, some people are going to be hitting you up with questions of how you did that. Uh, but that's for another episode, maybe. Um, Brian, the reason why I wanted to talk to you today is one of the amazing pieces of work that we've been working together over the last year, I'd say, is the automation of our enterprise business reviews here at HubSpot. And we do them uh, via a full deck that we deliver to customers, but we also have a one-pager version of that. And we've gone through a path where we've decided to build our own solution instead of buying one from the market. So tell us, how did you build this? What does it look like? How do we get an automated document at the end uh, of just clicking a button? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a complicated but also somewhat straightforward process. And I'll look to break that down here. Um, but for those executive business reviews and usage summaries, that's the one pager you're referring to, uh, we have... CSMs or their managers or really whoever wants to request for that asset, we have them 
trigger the automation through a Slack command. So they'll just type in backslash EBR. Uh, from there, our automation kicks off and starts working. And what we do is we create a copy of a Google Slides template of that EBR or that usage summary, as well as a Google Sheets template that stores data that works to populate the Google Slides template later on in the automation. Then we'll go ahead and retrieve data from our uh, different data sources. And I'd say the primary ones that we use for this use case is Snowflake, which is our, our data warehouse. We also retrieve some supplementary data from uh, our CRM, which is HubSpot. We work at HubSpot, so we gotta be practicing what we preach here. Uh, from there, what we'll do is we'll populate data from those data sources into the Google Sheets template that has like pre-built blank graphs adding that data into the Google Sheets template will then cause those graphs to become like visual with data, how you normally expect to see a graph. And then we'll have a few more steps where we insert the uh, graphs from that Google Sheet template into our Google Slides template. And we'll also go ahead and search for text tokens and images within Google Slides and replace those with tokens and images with the data and the images that we want in their place instead. And so to quickly take a step back on, on this step in particular, uh, for the text tokens, I've essentially assigned like simple naming conventions, like, you know, within slide 31, 31 underscore one. And that would say when the automation is looking for that text to retrieve, it'll look for 31 underscore one and replace that token of text, 31 underscore one, with the actual data that we want in its place instead. So say maybe that's like, the number of emails that a customer sent. It'll essentially work in that fashion. A similar idea applies with the images, where within Google Slides, you can create an alt text name for an image, and we'll just look for the image that is named 29 underscore two, you know, the, the second image that we want to replace on slide 29, essentially. And we'll replace that with uh, the image that we want superimposed there instead. Now, diving back out to the more high level process. From there, once the data is actually inserted onto that Google slide deck, we'll rename the Google, the Google sheet and the Google slide deck to the appropriate name for the customer and then assign ownership of those assets to the requester that generated the request. And as our final step, we'll follow up with the requester via Slack with the Google slide deck and the Google sheets uh, data sheet, just those assets so that they have those uh, available for them. We'll also send an email just as a follow-up too. So we're, we're sending it through two different channels, the, uh, the EBR or usage summary. That was a lot of data, so, or a, a lot of information. So please let me know if there's anywhere that I can, <laughs> you know, double click into or, or provide clarification. Yeah, no, this is amazing because I have to say, obviously being in the, um, seeing how the sausage is made, like when you, when you aren't, privy to this process it looks like magic right you go on slack you just put your customer id number and then you get you get the presentation right so it's it looks like magic but you know all those steps that you're talking about of actually every single data point that is there is connected to the data warehouse and is pulling from somewhere and is helping generate graphs like that's all interesting and I know when we talk automation, we say like the automation pulls it. Like, what is the automation, Brian? What is the engine behind what is creating, pushing from, pulling from the, the data warehouse and putting into the, into the slides? Yeah, the automation engine, uh, great question, by the way. The automation engine is in IPaaS. IPaaS here stands for Integrated Platform as a Service. Our integrated platform as a service at HubSpot that we use is called Workado. And the way I think we can think about Workado, I'll just try to make a, an analogy here, since I know that there's various folks that are, you know, more on the business side, folks that are technical. So my analogy for Workado is sort of like, it's kind of like the, the roads or the highway structures. It's basically infrastructure allowing different business applications to communicate with each other and pass data back and forth. So if we think about like, you know, my house is maybe a business application, but so is the grocery store. That is um, for me to actually get to the grocery store, I need to hop in my car and we can say that maybe that's like data and I need to drive to the grocery store using the roads and the highway that helps me get there. 
Workado, since it's so integrated with all these different business applications and has access to different data, just allows the seamless connection of that data to flow back and forth to accomplish whatever business or, or use case you're looking to solve for. So using Workado, do you have to code to actually create this, this connection? Like how much could a person without coding capabilities or if you don't have an engineer, how much could they do on their own? I would say it's important to know some aspects of the technical side, but you definitely don't need to know how to code. Um, I myself came from a non-technical background, and what really helped me learn a lot more about Workado and how to effectively use it is I took like a, a intro or beginner's class uh, class for Python, and that taught me different frameworks for like how to work with data and man manipulate it, how to ma manipulate lists. Um, you know, how to build out different like conditional logic branches based on, you know, whatever your use case might be. And so once I got a strong understanding of how all that stuff works, I was then basically able to marry that with my business knowledge um, and also, you know, solving for whatever the problem or use case is that we're, we're going after with particular types of automation that we're trying to build. Um, so I would say Workout is a really good system because you don't necessarily need to be a really technical professional. Um, as long as you sort of understand the basics, you can pick it up and, you know, through refinement, as with it, most things in life, once you kind of get more reps and sets under your belt, you get a lot better and you sort of open up the, uh, the amount of things that you can do within Workado. Yeah, that's really cool that you're able to go and take a few courses and learn some of the basics yourself and then practice that. Because I think everyone can can do that and obviously workado is one option but there are simpler tools like zapier for example where people can get started with some stuff i don't know if they're as powerful and if they can actually get accomplished what we do but you know there, there are ways for you to start kind of testing testing the waters with this stuff um data is a topic that comes up every single time we have conversations about creating any types of reports or, or automation. And to give you some context, Brian, a lot of people have messy data, right? It's like, you know, we are going to pull this information, but like our data warehouse is a mess. We don't know, like there's 10 different data points indicating to the same uh, type of data. We don't know which one to use. Um, we don't know which one is the most up to date in our CRM. There are so many fields that are not in use. You know, people have all sorts of challenges with data. Um, talk to me about um, some, you know, some ideas or, or how you've overcome some challenges with data using the solution. Yeah, with this particular use case, the automated uh, EBRs and usage summaries, um, data is definitely one of those things that can sort of be a snag and if you don't uh you know really try to perfect it and, and optimize it as much as possible can create a lot of noise and questions and you know almost mistrust with with uh the requesters or, or customers that are viewing the data so i wanted to start off by saying data is like paramount in any sort of project that is going to be customer facing um i myself don't work too much with the actual creation and sourcing of the data i work with different data analytic engineers that help me uh, harvest and, and essentially hand off the data to me to then uh, automate onto the different systems that we're working with. But I would definitely echo your your sentiment here that there's so many different data points that you can look at and that can almost be like slightly off. And I think for me, the, the most important piece of this project was really thoroughly and granularly looking at all the data points that we're working with and trying to validate that they're what a customer success rep that they're what a customer that's viewing the the EBR or usage summary, that it's matching what that person is looking for. And if not, going back with my data analytics engineer and trying to do more thorough investigation to really find you know, what data does match exactly in that customer's portal. Um, so I think it's there's just a process of really being thorough and trying to validate the data you're providing is accurate. And if it's not, going back to the drawing board, going back to the different table sources and trying to see which one lines up exactly with what we're looking for and also meets our customers' expectations.
Yeah, I love that you mentioned working with the business because in our group, we have a, a group that builds these this resources and we have worked so closely with customer success managers, with their managers. We have done so many pilot runs and to actually end up with the final version of what we have and we actually had to create as well like a data library we got so many questions about like what does this data point actually mean what's the date range etc that we we went ahead and created created a data library that has been really helpful for people to actually uh, self-serve with those questions uh, as much as they can but i love that you that you mentioned the trust there because if you show the wrong data to the customer and they maybe run a report and inside their own system and they see something different, then you actually create more problems and question marks. So yeah, data is is the baseline of trust. So I, I love that you said that. Uh, Brian, it's all well and good to put this together, right? You put it together once, you ship it out to people, but how much does it take to actually maintain a system like that? So actually, since we launched the EBRs in usage summaries, um, it's been relatively light maintenance work. And I would say maybe just like a, a few hours a month we have to dedicate towards maintenance. Um, I would say coming out of the gates, there were a little bit, there was a little bit more hours that we had to dedicate there due to different bugs that you notice when you first launch automation. For example, um, I actually don't think I gave this detail when I first you know, laid out the steps of how the Slack command works. But like you said, we provide a hub ID in a date range that we want an EBR or usage summary to be uh, created for. And we noticed errors where like people would paste in the totally wrong hub ID. Like they might paste in like a sentence by accident because they didn't actually command C their hub ID. You know, it, it, they didn't copy their hub ID as they should have. Um, so like requesting the wrong hub ID or uh, submitting for a date in the future that hasn't happened yet. Like those were common bugs that we sort of ran into, but from there we bulletproofed those, those common issues that we saw popping up initially, which maybe took like, I don't know, 10 to 20 hours or so. And then once we were past that phase, uh, like I said, it's just been a few hours a month that maybe we'll have some really weird edge case that pops up and we investigate a little bit more. Um, but yeah, really nice that it's actually not too much time that we have to dedicate there because we're we're generating like thousands of assets a month for uh, our CSMs. And if it was a heavy lift, that would certainly be quite the time suck. Yeah, well, that's a testament to the amazing work that you've done. And a question that I wanted to ask you is, obviously, this is like one creative thing that you can do with a integration platform. But like you said, it, there's so many possibilities because this type of platform connects so many parts of your business. Um, can you give me an example or maybe it's something that you've been thinking about of other types of automations that are possible for customer success teams using those platforms? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll dive into everyone's favorite topic, which I think nowadays is artificial intelligence and a really cool use case that my myself and my team launched uh, this past week was summarizing our customers' product usage uh, for CSMs. So let's say a CSM maybe is re-engaging with the customer they haven't talked with for a while. Uh, this automation using ChatGPT grabs that customer's product usage data and then surfaces the top highlights where that customer is really blown out of the water and are really using our features really well, as well as different like product activation opportunities. So that would be like places that the customer is either not using a product at all or a feature at all, or maybe has seen declined usage. Basically, it, the, the purpose here is to try to save reps the time and analysis themselves um, by surfacing those, those insights automatically to them. And then in addition to that, we also use generative AI to help create an email draft for CSMs if they want to, you know, send out like a a very personalized targeted email draft or uh, email re-engagement to their customer, basically provide them with the draft and then they can go ahead and make quick tweaks and edits as they'd like and uh, not have to, you know, wordsmith and, and think about how they want to perfectly craft that email. It's just sort of right there for them. Wow, that's so cool because it, it really does transform the data that a CSM has access to, to insights and makes the job so much quicker because a CSM takes, like 
30 minutes to an hour to prepare for a call, to prepare well, not just a check-in, but to actually deliver something of value to the customer. And most of that time is actually reviewing their usage and where are the gaps and what could they do better. So to be able to create something that actually does that legwork and delivers the, the answer so you can focus on helping your customer achieve those outcomes instead of focusing on the data crunch is just unbelievable. So I have seen a preview of this work and I'm so excited for this to um, hit our CSMs and for them to be able to start to use that. Um, I would have a thousand questions about that solution, but this is not this podcast. So I will stop myself from my curiosity and leave the guests wanting more. So Brian, you, you're possibly going to be invited here again to talk about that bot. All right. Well, I can't wait. I mean, I'm always happy to talk about systems automation and, uh, you know, the more people that we can sort of make aware of the cool things you can do with automation, I think the better. So anytime give me a shout and i'll be back yeah brian thank you so much for all your insights today um i know that this type of work is so hard to grasp for people to see without actually seeing the steps but i think you've given us a, a really great idea of how you could achieve that as a business um without actually having to buy a platform by doing that uh, with with your team so thank you so much all right thank you daphne it's been a pleasure being on your podcast and uh yeah, I'm excited to see the awesome things you continue to do with your career in this podcast. And uh, hopefully I'll be back on again sometime in the future. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to support the podcast, make sure to hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen. And if you're feeling generous, please share with your colleagues or friends. That's the best way to help me spread the word. And finally, if you're loving this content, don't forget to sign up to the This Is Growth newsletter. It's a weekly email that hits your inbox on a Friday with practical tips on how to build and scale modern customer success organizations. Thank you for listening and I see you next month.